Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is the Asian Madness Podcast. A podcast where we discuss all things true crime, morbid, mysterious, and odd from the Asian continent. I am your host, Jessica. Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Asian Madness Podcast. Once again, hoping you're all enjoying life and taking good care of yourselves. So the end of the year is upon us, with only half a month more to go until we hit 2024. How crazy is that? I guess not that crazy, because that's how time works. But you know what I mean. Hopefully you've all done things that you're proud of this year and continue to be good to yourself and others in the coming year. So it's been a few episodes of me talking about women killers. I'm sure it's obvious by now that yes, women do kill. I also realize I've done quite a lot of true crime lately. I know there are horror people out there probably wondering if I'll ever cover another mystery or something spooky again, and the answer is yes. Just let me work out my episode list, and it should be coming soon. Also, next episode ends with zero, so expect another round of Urban Legends. I would also like to say that this is going to be the last Women Who Kill episodes for the time being. I've made my point, though more will pop up here and there in the future. For today's episode, I came across this subject, once again, completely by accident, and it's such a crazy case. But Jessica, you say that all the time. Well, there are different levels and genres of weird and insane. Today's case takes place in Japan, so you already know it's going to be kind of weird. This case might even sound kind of fake, because it consists of detailed planning, careful execution, a love hotel, and, well, you'll see. I can say that this man was not a good man, but... Did he deserve to die like that? Let's begin. So let's start with a man called Uda Hitoshi. Not too much information available on his background, but here's a quick rundown on what I do have. Starting with the general facts, Hitoshi was born sometime around the early 60s in Japan. On the surface, he appeared to be your regular middle-aged Japanese guy. He's what you would call a salary man worked as an office worker at a construction material company near his home in the city of Eniwa in Hokkaido Prefecture. Eniwa neighbors Sapporo, a city famous for its beer and snow, and it's quite a beautiful place. 
Hitoshi was married and the couple had two kids. I believe the kids are now adults because Hitoshi was around 62 years old in 2023, but you never know. So, digging just a little bit deeper, what was he like as a person? According to friends, neighbors, and co workers, he was what you would expect a middle aged Japanese man to be like. He was an honest worker, did things by the book, pretty serious, but overall a good and kind man. Or at least, that's the Hitoshi they saw. People are rarely one dimensional. And sometimes we are passionate about things we know many people won't understand. For example, your old fashioned and serious grumpy boss could be a secret anime fan who goes to every anime related convention and has a room dedicated to figurines. Or your very loud, confident, and outgoing co worker who, in reality, really hates socializing and would rather sit at home to knit and read. What I'm trying to say is, We are complex and should not be put in a box. So, what is Hitoshi like behind closed doors? Hitoshi had a secret that he kept from his family and friends. Basically, anyone involved in his regular life was not aware of this. Hitoshi was a crossdresser, or as some might prefer to say, he was into dragging. I'm not very well versed on this, so I did a quick Google search. And a lot of people felt that cross dressing is simply expressing a gender identity, while dragging is more performance related. If we follow this definition, Hitoshi would be considered a cross dresser. So, how far was he into this? He had a hidden suitcase in his room that was full of makeup, wigs, and women's clothing, and somehow his wife had no idea this even existed. He's not hurting anyone, nor is he breaking any laws. If the man enjoys cross dressing, so be it. No big deal, right? Of course, it's kind of tricky because he's literally hiding a big part of himself from his wife. So, to some couples, that could be seen as an issue of trust. But that's not all. If Hitoshi enjoyed cross dressing while he was home alone, that would be one thing. But Hitoshi would regularly dress up and head out to nightclubs to hang out in Sapporo's red light district, Suzuki no. He even had a nickname for himself when he dressed as a woman, which was Tomo-chan. There are many honorific suffixes in Japanese. For example, the most common one is san, a general suffix to address a person more politely, like Mr. Honda would be Honda-san. The suffix chan Is usually used for little kids or girls, as it's seen as a more cutesy way to address someone. So he cross dressed and called himself Tomochan. That doesn't sound super terrible, right? Except there were various accounts and rumors of Hitoshi acting inappropriate with women at the clubs. He was said to have been a bit overly touchy feely, and while that could be regarded as being friendly, it can also be considered sexual harassment. It can be a little hard to tell the difference, mostly because it takes place in nightclubs. So now you have a basic idea of who this man is Hitoshi, the serious salary family man, and Tomo-chan, the flirty nightclub crossdresser. As you may have guessed, Hitoshi's life would end during one of his outings as Tomo-chan. But how? Bear in mind that I will be using Hitoshi and Tomo-chan interchangeably throughout the episode. 
Hope that's not too confusing. July 1st, 2023 was a Saturday, but not a regular Saturday. Hitoshi had plans to visit the bustling red light district area of Susukino. It wasn't anything new, at least not to him. There was, however, a pretty big disco party going on in either a nightclub or a hotel venue. And seeing as it's a disco party, you can probably guess that it wasn't really catered to the younger crowd, but of course they were welcome. It's more like a throwback thing for the older generation to relive the so-called good old days. Hitoshi had been looking forward to this, so around noon, hours before he was set to arrive, he locked himself in his room, took out his secret stash, and began to doll himself up. It's probably also safe to assume his wife was not at home. For this specific occasion, he decided to go with a silver reflective outfit and a jetpack-looking backpack that kind of gave outer space vibes and black knee-high socks and heels. Clearly, he took his second identity as Tomochan very seriously, because he takes more care of his appearance than I do. At exactly 4pm, the party at the disco started. From the description I found online, it kind of seems like this party was big on dancing, and there were performances put on by drag queens. Time flew by, and before he knew it, the disco party was winding down at around 10pm. While most people began to bid their friends goodbye and prepare to head home, Hitoshi decided to hang out with a friend of his, someone he had met previously on one of his Susukino outings. For them, the night was not over. Since the party ended, the two decided to go somewhere else to have some fun, and after a quick conversation, they decided to meet up at a love hotel called Hotel Let's, about two blocks away. At around 10.30, Hitoshi arrived at the intersection and waited for his friend. His friend soon arrived, and after exchanging a few words, the pair entered the hotel together right before 11pm. While it's common regulation for hotels, love hotels included, to ask for ID, this may not have been the case. Love hotels are places where adults go to have some adult time. I've heard that sometimes they do not check ID as long as you can pay, and I can also imagine some paying customers not wanting to share private information because they don't want anyone linking them to their side activities. The security measure has been ramped up in love hotels as it could be a hotbed for illegal activities such as human trafficking or prostitution. But again, I wouldn't be surprised if some love hotels don't care as long as you pay and leave on time. Now back to Hitoshi and his friend. We already know what Hitoshi was wearing, and as for his friend, the hotel staff believed she was a young woman based on her outfit and figure. When they arrived to check in, she had been wearing a white outfit, black boots, a wide-brimmed black hat, and a black face mask. She was also said to have been carrying a suitcase with wheels, the kind you use when you travel. It's not uncommon for people to want to hide their identity when going to these establishments, and as for suitcases, it could be totally innocent where it's full of clothes because the woman was an out-of-towner. But since it's a love hotel, you never know what people like to do behind closed doors. It could be full of sex toys or things like that. So again, this was noted, but it wasn't exactly weird. Suzukino is known as the red light district of Sapporo, 
So my guess is that people working in love hotels have seen just about anything, and nothing would be weird for them at this point. Two women checking in is not at all strange, either. After getting their keys, the pair headed to their room, room number 202. At around 2am on July 2nd, approximately three hours after the two had checked in, the mystery friend returned to the check-in counter, but this time, she was alone. The staff noted that she had changed her outfit from all white to all black, now adding on a black coat. Her face mask was still on and so was her hat, but instead of just a huge suitcase, she also seemed to have a backpack on her, except it was underneath her black coat and not over it. She left the hotel without a fuss, didn't seem to say anything, but the staff knew that the person she came with, as in Hitoshi, was still in the room. One person leaving before the other was not uncommon in these establishments, so the hotel staff paid no mind and continued on as usual. Hours went by and the daily checkout time came and went. No sign of the extra guests from room 202. Maybe he wanted to stay an extra day, or maybe he had overslept. But as 3pm rolled around, it was getting a bit weird. They had not seen anyone leave the room and no one phoned the front desk to tell them anything. So as any hotel would do, staff went and knocked on the door. No answer. Hmm. Fishy? Maybe. So they knocked again and proceeded to use their master key to enter the room and check it out. At first sight, the room seemed to be in order, as if no one even checked in. But upon further investigation, they saw something really strange and eerie. Instead of approaching what they had found, they got the heck out of the room immediately and called the police. Hello, operator. It looks like there's a woman who's either deceased or unconscious in the bathroom of one of our hotel rooms. Please come, immediately. So you remember Hitoshi was basically dressed up as a woman the previous night, and when he checked into his hotel. Whatever the hotel staff saw, it made them believe that it was a woman, and not a man dressed as a woman. The police arrived shortly after 3pm on July 2nd, and found the hotel staff, who had called it in, waiting outside room 202. They entered the hotel room, and upon entering, they saw the bedroom area, which is basically just a bed, a small sofa, a TV, the usual. It was strange because nothing really looked out of place. It almost looked like nobody stayed there. The bed was made, no cups or trash anywhere. But of course, every room comes with a bathroom. And as police got closer to look inside, they saw what appeared to be a person sitting on the floor with their back to the bathroom door, head slumped forward, facing the bathtub. In other words, anyone entering the bathroom would only be able to see the person's back. It was kind of weird, because nothing looked out of place in the bathroom either, just a naked person who appeared to be passed out on the bathroom floor by the tub. The police get closer to confirm the situation, and that's when they realized the person was not at all slumped forward. This person was missing their head. What in the world was going on? So obviously at this point, Everyone began to panic, like this is not something you come across every day, or ever for that matter. Very quickly, the police begin to do a search and gather evidence. Except there wasn't much to find. To their surprise, 
The woman they initially found turned out not just to be headless, but he was a man. Without his head, it would be kind of difficult to find out his identity, and aside from the body in the bathroom, nothing that could lead them to his identity was found. As in no wallet, no keys, no clothes, and most importantly, obviously, no head. There were no signs of a struggle inside the room, no pools of blood. Very odd and clean crime scene considering how this body was found. The victim had appeared to have suffered only one stab wound, cause of death determined to be from hemorrhagic shock. The head was believed to be removed post-mortem. The way he was decapitated seemed a bit methodical, as in this person seemed to know what they were doing. It did not seem like a crime of passion, definitely more calculated. No one walks around carrying surgical instruments just in case they need to perform an emergency decapitation, right? It really made very little sense, but the police, of course, were determined to figure out the identity of their mystery man and what happened. First things first, they began to look for and collect fingerprints inside the room, which proved to be a little useless. These love hotel rooms are usually booked by the hour. If multiple people had checked into this one room over the last couple days, one can only imagine how many random sets of fingerprints were found in the room. Not saying hotel staff don't clean, but it's probably difficult to cover every single surface, and sometimes people touch the weirdest things in rooms. They did, however, attempt to use the freshest prints found in the room and from the body, but they were unable to get a match in their database. In other words, the headless body had no record in the police system, so his identity would remain a mystery until further evidence was found. While some officers searched and collected evidence in the room, others interviewed the hotel staff, hoping to get as much information as possible. The person working the front desk the previous night told the police everything they remembered, which we've already covered. The victim, whom they initially believed to be an older woman, walked in with a younger woman whose face was mostly covered, and since this was a popular love hotel in the area, they were pretty lax when it came to checking ID and registering guests under their real names. They described the two guests based on their outfits, but that's pretty much all they had. The older guest was approximately 170 centimeters, or 5'7", while the younger woman was probably in her 20s or 30s, about 150-something centimeters, or 5'2", inches tall, with dyed blonde hair. While they couldn't be sure of her facial features, it became a possibility that this young woman could have been a man. I mean, if they thought Hitoshi was a woman at first, what's to say the other guest wasn't a man pretending to be a woman? It might sound like a stretch, but in cases like these, anything could be possible and nothing should be ruled out until further evidence is uncovered. The news of a headless corpse being found in a love hotel was reported on the news almost immediately which caused a lot of panic and morbid fascination amongst the general public. Who would do this? Who was the victim? How did this happen? And where was his head? While the investigation into the missing head and the identity of the corpse continued, police in the city of Chitose, a city neighboring Eniwa, received a phone call that would end up helping the Sapporo police in their investigation. On the evening of July 3rd, Two nights after Hitoshi left to go partying, 
a woman called the Chitose police to file a missing persons report. She explained that her husband, a man in his early 60s named Uda Hitoshi, left their home on the evening of July 1st and has not returned. Apparently she knew her husband made frequent trips over to Sapporo, but I would guess she had no idea why he went or that he transformed into Tomochan every time he went there. After taking down the information the wife provided, police were able to trace Hitoshi's general whereabouts from July 1st, which resulted in finding his car parked in a parking lot in the Susukino area. But what could they do to confirm that the headless body was indeed their missing man, Hitoshi? They asked his wife to provide further information on her husband, anything that could help them identify his body that did not involve facial features. She told them that he had a surgery for appendicitis years ago, and of course, the headless corpse indeed had a scar under the lower abdomen region. Is that enough to conclude that Hitoshi is the body in the hotel? For us? Probably. But for the police, they needed solid proof. They proceeded to obtain fingerprints from Hitoshi's belongings found in his home, and it was, of course, a match. That confirmed that Hitoshi had been murdered in the Love Hotel, and whoever did that also took his head with them. Well, the holiday season has somehow crept up on us. Depending on your life, it's very likely that your holiday season is extra busy. Maybe work is ramping up because it's the end of the year. Maybe you have friends and family visiting for a little longer than you'd like. Or you just want to enjoy the holidays and take a break from everything you've done this past year. Good job, by the way. Well, with Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service, you can catch a break. Why stress yourself out with meal planning when you can get someone else to do that for you? No grocery shopping, no meal prepping, no cooking. Just two minutes, and bam, you're done. Sure, some of us are conscious of our foods due to restrictions or allergies, but fear not, Factor has you covered. Not a meat eater? Pick vegetarian or vegan. Love meat? Get Protein Plus. Trying to watch your weight? Calorie Smart Meals will be your supportive friend. You can choose from more than 35 freshly packed, dietitian approved, and not frozen meals to support a healthy lifestyle. All you need to do is go on their website, choose your meals, get it delivered, and it will be ready to eat in two minutes. Go ahead and try out Factor this holiday season just to give yourself more time and less stress. Head to factormeals.com Asian50 and use code Asian50 to get 50% off. That's code Asian50 at factormeals.com Asian50 to get 50% off. Having a confirmed ID on the victim was a great start. So police decided to check out the area in Susukino, hoping to get some leads from some of the locals, assuming they knew who Hitoshi was. They stopped at multiple shops, bars, and clubs, but the name Ura Hitoshi came as a complete foreign name to them. That is, until police began showing his photo to these establishments. Many people were surprised, but immediately recognized him, except to them, this man was called Tomochan and not Hitoshi. 
The person they knew was a crossdresser who often visited bars and clubs in heavy makeup, wigs, and flashy outfits. This was interesting to the police indeed, because when they first began questioning Hitoshi's friends and acquaintances, they consistently got the, he's a good guy, doesn't say much, nice guy, can't imagine him having any enemies type of answers. I mean, they weren't wrong, because that's the man they knew. It just so happened he led two different identities, and he hid it extremely well. At a club in Susukino, a woman came forward and told the police that she had some information on Tomo-chan. She explained that he came to Susukino clubs and bars quite often, at least often enough for people to recognize him. She first met Tomo-chan about a year ago, and even back then, people believed that he was actually a woman. No one shunned him or anything, but they were curious. After getting to know him, many people discovered that he wasn't dressing as a woman to attract men, as he made it known that he was not into men, but rather into younger women. Rumors began to circulate that he was being inappropriate with these younger women he hit on, but seeing as he was dressed as a woman, it made things a bit confusing. Apparently, it wasn't exactly uncommon to see cross-dressers around town, and in her opinion, this had less to do with the victim indulging in secret fantasies, but more to do with wanting to get into clubs at a discounted rate, or even for free. Anyone who's been to nightclubs probably know that they tend to do this thing where women can enter clubs for free on certain nights, while men have to pay an entrance fee. I guess the idea is that men are more willing to pay to go see beautiful women gathered in one place, so it made sense to try to attract women to clubs by waiving their fees. So was this Hitoshi's motives? Was he just being friendly and indulging in his own fantasies, or was he just a predator? Other more harmful statements described him as borderline harassing young women, constantly trying to get close to them, and eventually coming off as creepy to some of them. He would be constantly rejected, and he never seemed to mind. If one failed, he would just move on to the next one. While most women saw through him and hated him, that doesn't mean there weren't others that were a bit more trusting. One specific rumor stated that he had once asked a young woman to go to a hotel with him after clubbing, and this young woman found him friendly and kind. But once they arrived in their hotel room, he allegedly took advantage of her and raped her. I know, I say rumor and alleged, because the woman providing the information was not there, and she had only heard about this happening. But these alleged rumors were enough to get Hitoshi some notoriety within the area, and some clubs have even listed him as a person to watch out for. So hearing all this, police began to wonder if his murder had anything to do with a rape. Again, this seemed like a premeditated act, not like, oops, I accidentally killed a man, might as well cut his head off. So now that the hotel room has been searched, the staff and nearby establishments questioned, the next logical step would be to use modern tools, such as technology. There were plenty of security cameras in the area outside the Love Hotel, so it wasn't hard to track down the mystery young woman. Police had no idea who this person was, but based on the footage, they concluded that this mystery guest was definitely a young woman. Even though it was possible that she committed the crime, it was still odd. How could a petite young woman like the one they saw on camera fully control a grown man like Hitoshi. 
Did she possess medical knowledge? And even if she did manage to subdue him, how did she get him not to fight back at all? And most interesting of all, how was she able to carry out her act of not just killing him, but cleaning the crime scene, changing her clothes, and cutting off his head? She was not in a frenzy when she left the hotel. She was cool, calm, and collected. It was extremely baffling, because if she was responsible for everything, then that meant they had a calculated killer on the loose. Camera footage from around the area showed her walking out of the hotel room. She wandered around a bit, turning left and right, but eventually police found what they needed. A car was idling by in the vicinity, and once she climbed in, the car drove away. Does this mean she had an accomplice? In the beginning, this case seemed almost too crazy to be true. They had nothing to go on, but suddenly they found everything they needed to track down this mystery woman. Thank God for technology. The police were able to get a read on the license plate, and of course, this led them directly to the owner of the vehicle. The car belonged to a 59-year-old man named Tamura Osamu. So who is Tamura Osamu? Osamu was the head of a psychiatric department in a hospital, and just like Hitoshi, people who knew him only had good things to say about him. He was a good man, with good character, did volunteer work, and helped people in need. What's interesting to note is that before he became a psychiatrist, he allegedly had dreams of becoming a surgeon. Except, well, he found out that blood was scary. This is probably not something you want in your surgeon. You would want someone calm, someone who is at least comfortable with blood, right? There's absolutely nothing wrong with feeling icky about blood. Many people learn the hard way. And once his superiors learned of his phobia, they recommended he switch to another area, and that happened to be psychiatry. Osamu is also married to 60-year-old Hiroko, and the couple have a 29-year-old daughter named Tamura Luna. Do you see where I'm going with this? 29-year-old Luna's height and body shape strongly resembled the mystery guest, and her father seemed to possess the necessary skill to, say, decapitate a person's head. Even though Osamu had the skill set to perform such tasks, his daughter, on the other hand, was not a doctor, nor did she study anything medical-related. In fact, she was known to be a huge recluse. She was a grown-ass adult, but according to her records, she had always lived with her parents and never had a job of her own. It's not that she was a lazy freeloader, but she seemed to have been suffering from some kind of disability or mental illness. I can't say for sure what it is, but she may have spent some time in a psychiatric facility at some point. She had no friends, never worked a day in her life, and rarely ever went out on her own. She also harbored a strong hatred towards men, which would make it hard to function in society seeing as half the population are men. People who knew her said that she was quiet, kept to herself, and just kind of existed in the background. The police were nearly 100% sure that she was the mystery woman they were looking for. But how she possessed the ability to control and decapitate Hitoshi was still a mystery. Was her father somehow involved in the act? The hotel staff swore up and down that aside from Hitoshi and the mystery woman, no one entered or left room 202. 
so it was highly unlikely that Osamu took part in the attack. The police also wondered if Osamu had actually been hiding inside the large suitcase the woman was carrying, but that was also highly unlikely as she did not seem to have been struggling with the suitcase. And of course, let's not forget the fact that her father supposedly picked her up in the car after the deed was done. Unless her father was indeed hiding in the suitcase and her mother was the getaway driver. This theory would also make sense, because remember, when the mystery woman left the hotel, she had a bag that was covered under her coat, which we could say was maybe Hitoshi's head. But if she had a suitcase, why not put it in the suitcase? Unless it was already full. The police then took a further look at Osamu's activities on the days around the murder. From his credit card records, they discovered that he had made some highly suspicious purchases on the morning of July 1st. He went to a nearby store and bought a saw, some knives, a large suitcase, a blonde wig, and handcuffs. If you recall, although the mystery woman's face was concealed, it was said that her hair was blonde underneath her hat. All these pieces of this deranged puzzle were starting to come together, and police wasted no time and immediately obtained a search warrant to search the Tamura home on July 24th. The Tamura home was located in Atsubetsu Ward of Sapporo City, a three-story home which looked quite tidy and clean from the outside. All white and nothing out of place. Upon entering, though, it was a complete different world. The house was probably in the early stages of an episode on hoarders, full of random boxes and trash. If anything, this made me think of how mental health and mental illnesses can be viewed. Someone could look nice and put together on the outside, but you never know what they're struggling with or what's killing them from the inside. Anyway, it took a while to sift through their belongings, but evidence was gathered, including the suitcase, the blonde wig, and the black hat seen on camera. As police continued deeper into the house, the smell of trash and disarray began to transform into something more odorous, and if the police were seasoned enough, they would probably immediately know that it was the smell of decay, of death. Once they entered the bathroom on the second floor, they were met with a head. It was just sitting there, full-on decaying, completely unrecognizable. And that ends the search for Hitoshi's missing head. Luna and her father, Osamu, were immediately arrested, and while her mother was not known to have taken part in this murder, she was also arrested as an accomplice. I mean, of course, I can't imagine her not knowing there was a rotting head in her own house. Once the entire family was arrested, Luna seemed to give up and confessed immediately that yes, she had killed Hitoshi. She gave a statement on her actions, and here's the gist of it. According to her, she suffered from dissociative identity disorder, which used to be known as multiple personality disorder. Although she did commit the murder, she claimed that it was one of her multiple personalities that killed him, not the real her. She also revealed that her other side, as in the cruel and murderous side, first reared its ugly head when she was in elementary school. It only got worse as she got older, which resulted in her not continuing her education and never getting a job. Seeing as Runa was their only child, 
Her parents did everything for her and kept her at home where she felt safe. Some would say she was extremely spoiled, but maybe her parents knew what she could do if she was triggered, so by keeping her at home, they would also be keeping other people safe. To get a better sense of the family, though, the police also branched out and interviewed their neighbors, friends, and relatives. Some neighbors commented that while the family was always nice, they had come to notice that Osamu had been acting strange the past couple of weeks. They would often see him loitering outside his home, just kind of standing there for a long period of time, as if he didn't want to be at home. They would also see him eating his lunch or dinner outside, or even in his car, almost like he was keeping watch. Now that we know they had a rotting head in his house, it's no wonder he didn't want to spend time indoors. Next, they approached Runa's grandfather, and he had information that would end up shedding some light on why Hitoshi was targeted. He had heard that Runa was sexually assaulted a month or so ago, and while he expected them to go to the police, the Tamura family collectively decided not to. They simply told her grandfather that, quote, it had been taken care of, unquote, whatever that means. So remember the woman who talked to the police? who said that Hitoshi had allegedly raped a woman once in a hotel? It was surmised that this woman was in fact Runa. But how did a recluse like Runa even meet Hitoshi, or rather, Tomo-chan? Luckily for the police, they were able to find camera footage from a club dating back to the day Runa met Tomo-chan. Osamu had taken Runa out to a club for some reason, maybe to help her get out of the house and reintroduce her to society. I mean, there are book clubs and other ways I can think of, but I guess they thought a club was a good place to start. Camera footage showed Tomo-chan basically befriending Runa, and Runa believing that Tomo-chan was just a friendly older woman, trusted her completely. She seemed to have been having fun, and her father was just sort of standing in the background, silently monitoring the situation. Strange, I know, but who am I to judge? It was believed that the two exchanged phone numbers that night and kept in touch. Not long after, Hitoshi, using his Tomo-chan identity, asked Runa to come meet him and took her to a hotel, where he then raped her. This is when she found out that Tomo-chan was actually a man. Putting the murder aside, I can't imagine that betrayal she must have felt. She finally ventured out into the real world, believed she had made a new friend, and then was violated almost instantly. Please note that the account below is what people believe happened afterwards. Do not take everything as a fact. The official reason for the murder has not been revealed, at least, not yet. But right now, it seems like revenge. So after being raped, Runa was understandably devastated, and since she was close to her family, she told them what happened. This is in line with what the grandfather told the police, and it was believed that they never filed a police report because Osamu didn't want to subject his daughter to such scrutiny. It's not uncommon for some victim blaming to happen, like, why did you go? Why didn't you call for help? Why didn't you tell them to stop? Osamu had supposedly taken matters into his own hands and decided to confront Hitoshi on what happened and Hitoshi supposedly promised not to contact his daughter ever again. Except, he did. Some say he had filmed a rape at the hotel, and he could have been using that as blackmail against Runa, 
forcing her to meet him again. So, of course, this spiraled out of control, and Osamu, being the protective father, came up with a plan to end it once and for all. That plan was murder, which you already know about. It's interesting to note how the public responded to this roller coaster of a crime. In the beginning, most people felt sympathy for Hitoshi. A man with an innocent hobby gets killed. Your mind may wander into hate crime land, because it does happen. Some people out there really make it their personality to hate on people who are not straight or have a different skin color. But once the news coverage discussed the Tamura family, sympathy began to sway into Runa's court. Some asked the court for leniency, citing her trauma and her mental illness. Some had shared their thoughts, stating that if this had happened to their daughter, they would have done the same thing. Some also said that even if Hitoshi had been arrested, he would have gotten a light sentence anyway. Since Runa had already admitted to the crime, I guess it's safe to say that this is a calculated revenge plan. But how did she come to possess the knowledge and strength to remove his head? Could her father have perhaps taught her while they were planning this murder? Killing someone required not only physical strength, but also mental strength. Luna was supposedly mentally unwell. Was she actually capable of this? Or was she right in saying that another one of her personalities took over and performed this task? How was she able to control a man bigger than her? Could she have drugged him before killing him? That could explain why there were no signs of struggle. As to why they insisted on taking his head, it could be because they wanted to delay the investigation. If they had no way to identify the victim, the police wouldn't know where to start. Some internet theories also floated the idea that if Hitoshi had indeed filmed himself raping Runa, then the rape videos would definitely be stored in his phone. By taking his head and all his belongings, they managed to keep his identity a mystery for a bit. They would also have all the time in the world to unlock his smartphone with his head and delete anything that could tarnish Runa's reputation. But why didn't they get rid of the head? Why let it sit in their bathroom for weeks? That really made no sense to me. Did they want this as a reminder? Like a trophy? Or was it just that they didn't know how to dispose of it? Another theory stated that she could have planned to completely dismember him and leave nothing behind. Although this case was ultimately solved, there are still several whys and hows that remain to be answered. So there you have it, the extremely calculated murder of a man who many saw as a predator who simply dressed as a woman to gain the trust of younger women. Do you think this was Hitoshi, aka Tomo-chan's main goal? To prey on younger women? Or do you think he was just a misunderstood man with private fantasies? Although many statements do point to him as being a predator, I can't say that he deserved to die like that. Sometimes we see terrible people in movies getting killed, and I know for a fact we can get a sense of satisfaction. But is that how the world works? That's definitely not how the law works, because most societies do not operate on eye for an eye or civilian justice, and many places are against the death penalty, even for the worst human monsters out there. The logical and most desired course of action would have been to report him to the authorities and have them investigate him. 
But of course, humans are not robots, and we don't always do what is technically right. But right, wrong, and justice, what is that? Is that dictated by law or by our own morals? Do we see all this as wrong because society tells us it's wrong? Or because we believe that ourselves? I can't really answer that, but it's something I do wonder. This is a developing case, so I may put out an update on this eventually. While we wait, I hope Luna gets the help she needs. I also have sympathy for Hitoshi's wife and kids, because although he may not have been a good guy, crimes like these also end up affecting their family and their friends. Be safe, everybody. And while there's nothing wrong in making new friends, you should always be careful. Till next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Asian Madness Podcast. If you enjoyed my content, please rate and review me on iTunes. If you would like to get in touch with me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or email me at asianmadnesspod at gmail.com. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.